So we read a ton. I know that we did. And I know it was hard to keep up with it and what was happening and where it was going. So let me try, if I can, to summarize a bit of what was going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 that we read. What Paul was saying, where he was trying to get, why he was doing this, what was taking place. The church in Jerusalem, in a sense, was the kind of the mother church. In some way, directly or indirectly, it had been responsible for planting all of the other churches that came out. So the church in Corinth and the church in Philippi and the church in Ephesus, some way, again, directly or indirectly, Jerusalem had been a part of sending all of these churches out, of new churches popping up all over the place, of the spread of this movement of Jesus happening across the world that they knew and they understood. But we find out that the church in Jerusalem was struggling. Things had gotten harder and harder for them. And the idea of surviving or thriving in Jerusalem was becoming more and more difficult. As not only the, 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 the Roman government was pushing against them and the local culture was pushing against them, we also see that the Jerusalem church was standing more and more opposed to these people who called themselves Jewish, but who were striving to now follow after the, the teachings of this new Messiah. So the Jewish church was pushing them further and further away. Families were cutting off ties. Some of their jobs and their livelihoods were becoming questionable. It was getting harder and harder for them to survive and move forward. And this put financial strain on the church in Jerusalem. We also find it mentions it in the book of Acts. And again, Paul mentions it as he talks about this idea of there being poor in the church in Jerusalem. So there were there were certain individuals or families who were being more significantly impacted by these strains that were affecting all of the church, but especially these poor, again, the, the scripture word that's used, families that were part of this. So in response to what was going on in Jerusalem, in the church that had, had birthed them, had launched them out, all of the churches that had been planted, still struggling churches, Corinth among them, started collecting money. They wanted to collect money to send back to the church in Jerusalem so that they could support what was taking place there. And as Paul says in what we read, there was no requirement in this. That what This wasn't something they were required to do. The church in Jerusalem wasn't saying, hey, we don't know if we're going to make it. We need you to send money back in order for us to, to, to move forward. There was, there was not pressure that was being placed upon these churches. There wasn't some kind of expectation of dues or fees or something that they should pay in order to stay connected to some kind of association or denomination or gathering of churches. None of that was a piece of what was going on. There wasn't even this feeling of of somehow them being indebted financially to the church that had helped birth them. None of that's taking place. They heard of the need. They decided on their own that they wanted to be a part of helping. They wanted to collect a gift. They wanted to send a gift back. They wanted to be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem as they believed that the church in Jerusalem had been a blessing to them. They wanted to influence the work that was taking place in the church of Jerusalem. So together, Corinth being one of them, but all of these other churches began working to try and collect money to send back in order to help Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, move forward. And according to what we see in Paul, if we do a little bit of reading between the lines of what's going on, it appears that Corinth was one of the first 
to want to do so. The church in Corinth was one of the first to say, we want to send money back. We believe we can bless the church in Jerusalem. So we want to be a, a part of helping what's happening here. So in the end of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, we, we see some specific instructions that Paul gives. We didn't read that piece, but we see specific instructions that Paul gives on how they should collect the gift, what it will look like for them to collect this offering that they're going to send back uh, to the church in Jerusalem in order to help take care of them. Now, the first letter, if you read 1 Corinthians, if we were to read the entire thing together, you might feel like it's a little heavy. Paul was pretty hard on the church in Corinth, especially in the first letter. There were some very clear sin issues that were publicly taking place in the life of the church. They were even being celebrated in the life of that church. And when Paul wrote his first letter to them, he held no punches with regards to going after these issues that were taking place among them. So there are those that believe that perhaps the first letter might not have been well received. I suspect your favorites are those sermons that I preach that step on your toes a little bit, right? Probably not. So a little, the dust had settled a bit. A little time had passed. And Paul circled back to this idea of the gift that they wanted to be a part of. Of the collection, of the gathering that they wanted to be involved in. Now, there's no indication, so there are some that assume, but there's no real indication in the scriptures that, that somehow between that first letter and the second letter, that, that the collection of this gift had somehow stopped or staggered, that they were so deeply offended that they decided not to collect any money. None of that is there. There are some that assume it, but there's no evidence that that's actually true. There's no evidence that, that the offering didn't, wasn't carrying forward with the same steam it had beforehand. That they were fired up about it, that they had lots and lots of money with them ready to go. But for some reason, Paul felt this need to encourage them, to push them further, to help them dive deeper into what they were doing and to be even more committed to the gift than perhaps they had been before. And for Paul, this apparently was a significant issue. That's why he spent two chapters talking about it. Continuing to talk about this idea of a gift. Not to harp on it, not to guilt them, not to shame them. But because for Paul, this was significant. They'd said they wanted to be a part of it. They needed to follow through and even dig in deeper than perhaps they'd considered before. So this passage continues to kind of roll around in this. I want to read you several verses of it again. Kind of some of the highlights of what we found over those couple chapters. So in verse 8, starting in verse 6, it says this. It says, So we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. In verse 10, it says, here's my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Chapter 9, verse 2, he says, For I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. 
In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves the person who gives cheerfully. That's a quote from the Old Testament that Paul was using. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. In verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Paul was pleading. Not not trying to talk them into it or convince them, but pleading that they demonstrate their growing faith through generosity. That this gift that they'd said they wanted to give, that they'd begun collecting, that they talked about sending a year ago, that this be the demonstration of their faith. For themselves, for the other churches, for God, for the sake of the kingdom, for those who were watching. That this be evidence that they trusted in God to provide for them, even though it was going to be hard for them to let this go. But in the same way that they were being used to provide for the church in Jerusalem, Paul was reminding them that they too would be provided for if they were willing to reach out and be generous. I think this is a really powerful passage. It's, it's difficult, but it's powerful. So what's it mean for Valley? As Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, what, what is it that Valley should do with this passage and with what we're reading? It is my hope. It is our hope. As a vision team, as leaders... That Valley is a church marked by generosity. That this is one of the signs of the other values, the other guiding principles that we've been talking about in this series. This is one of the signs, one of the evidences of those things coming true. That the evidence of growing faith in us, the evidence of spiritual transformation taking place in the life of our body, the evidence of growing trust that God can do incredible things is our generosity. That as we become more and more transformed, that we release any selfish longings we might have for wealth or possessions. That we're willing to release what we have for the sake of the kingdom of God and the greater church. That the more we experience what it means for us to live as a healthy community and the more and more that we are a people committed to missional living and we have these experiences of us but also of the rest of the world that we come to understand we have been given incredible blessings. And that these blessings don't belong to us. That these are gifts from God. 
things that we have been given the opportunity to use for a time. And the primary purpose of them is to bless others. That we're simply stewards. Stewards of our facility, of our finances, of our influence, of our possessions, of our individual homes, our vehicles, our valuables, our relationships. That all that we have, you personally, me personally, us as a body, all that we have has been loaned to us to steward for a time. And as we become more and more formed as a people, that we would release these things as God finds additional or sometimes other uses for them that are even better than what they're being used for now. Now, in some ways, as I say that, it sounds kind of simple, right? I mean, sure. Yeah, let's do it all for it. That sounds exciting. (laughs) It's not that easy, is it? In your own home, in our organization, in any organization that we're a part of. What tends to happen when we're struggling with finances? Hold on tighter, right? Grab hold of even more. When our possessions are at risk for some reason, what do we do? We keep other people from using them. We make sure that others can't get near them because we only have so much. And there's this scarcity mentality with regards to what might happen. When we want to protect things that are precious to us, sometimes we hide them. Sometimes we won't even use them ourselves out of this fear that something might happen if we use them. So we have this thing that we really appreciate, that we really love, that we're so proud of, that we won't touch because if we touch it, it might break. But if we don't touch it, it has no value. It might as well still be at the store. And yet these realities tend to happen in us. We create rules around these things that we have so that we can limit risk, so that we can protect them, so that we can make sure no harm comes their way. This is completely natural. And I hope that you're hearing me say this and going, yep, I've done that before. Because I do that all the time. With a desire to protect things, to take care of it, to risk it, grabbing hold of things and making sure that I hold on to them because I'm afraid of what might happen if I let them get too far away or if I release them or if I let my kids touch them. And and I'm not saying that there isn't wisdom in us being smart with our possessions. Part of stewarding is protecting. But there's a thin line between us stewarding or caring for our things and us being greedy because we're afraid that if we let to if we let loose of them that someone might take them or somehow they might get harmed or somehow we might lose them. It seems to me that in this letter especially in these two chapters that we looked at that Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying that the church in Corinth and Valley and every church that would read this letter should respond differently the normal behaviors when we're concerned about risk or things getting tight or budgets getting tight or struggles. So Corinth and Valley should respond to difficult budgets. How? By sharing more boldly, which is completely opposed to what comes naturally for us. That we, would, we should respond to the risk of loss by risking even more fully. By sharing what we have with others rather than holding them back. That when we're concerned that something might happen to to this place or this space or these things that we have, that the response for the church should be share even more boldly, reach out there even further, risk even more 
to bless others and to trust that God will take care of you and your stuff. Now, Valley, as a church, we have been a place and a people who have excelled in generosity in many ways throughout our history. And what Paul was saying about Corinth is that so had they. But his challenge to them was, how do you dig even deeper? So the question for Valley is, how do we dig even deeper? How do we be an example to other churches of what it means to be incredibly generous? How do we be a model church when it comes to the idea of generosity? How do we be imitators of God's generosity? God so generous that he sent Jesus to come and live among us. How do we imitate that same bold, over-the-top, audacious generosity that God was willing to show on our behalf? And it's this question and this stirring and this looking at the idea of generosity that has allowed the vision team to come to a place of discerning that we want this to also be one of our guiding principles. We want this to be one of our values. Because we've given boldly in the past, we want to make sure that we do so even more so in the future. We have modeled generosity in so many ways. One of those examples is the sharing of our facility. As Maryland Christian Church has come in and used the facility. As Valley Baptist Preschool uses the facility. Now both of those organizations as our partners also contribute to some of the facility costs. But there is cost on us as a church as we do that. And we do that. We want to do that because we want to be a part of being generous and of sharing this space with both of them. But we also share it with organizations like the Men's Bible Study Fellowship that meets here every week. Our local community association meets here at least once a month. There are others that use the facility now or that have used them in the past. Other churches, other civic organizations, other community contacts that we have. We've also modeled generosity as we've seen this reality that... that Even though our budget has struggled and continued to struggle more and more over the last few years, it has forced us to clamp down on many things. But we haven't limited the contributions that we've given to our missions partners. In fact, year after year, as we know we have to pull in the purse strings on what we spend on ourselves, we've continued to increase what we give out to our missions partners. Last year. One of those partners was sitting with me and we were having a conversation about Valley's financial situation, about our budget and the fact that things were tight. And we weren't positive what we were going to do as we continue to move forward. And we look at the struggles of the budget and money coming in and money going out and all that that takes. And this partner looked at me and said, if you need to reduce what you're giving to our work, we understand that. And I stopped him short of finishing and I said, not an option. As far as we're concerned as a church, giving to our missions partners is a non-negotiable. We don't waver on those things. We're deeply committed to the idea that this is a part of who we are. We're not going to cut our efforts to the impact that we want to make on the world through our partners and in our own work. Because times get tough here at home. We don't decrease our kingdom giving because the budget is tight. So in last year's budget, last year's fiscal year that ended in December, I don't have all the specific numbers exactly right. I've looked at it several times, but we gave away roughly $30,000 to our missions partners last year. 
Now, some of us hear that number, and again, if I were to bring in a finance guy who were to look at Valley's budget, the first thing that they would say is, stop giving away so much money. You fix a lot of your budget issues if you stop giving away so much money. But as a church, we say, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Not in the kingdom, not among the church. So last year, we gave away roughly 13 cents of every single dollar that you gave to Valley. Without question, without hesitation, without looking at whether or not it impacted other areas of our budget. On top of that, many of you also gave to support a trip to Zambia that happened last year. So our outgoing mission spending was upwards of $50,000 last year. Which is a beautiful, beautiful sign of what it means for us to be the kind of church that we want to be. I'm not sure if you know this, but we are primary contributors to many of the partnerships that we're a part of. We don't give a ton to any one place. But they rely on our gifts because the little bit that we give with consistency over and over again throughout the year makes sure that they have the ability to continue to function. They rely on us to keep moving forward. Some of them would have questions as to what their future looks like if we were to suddenly say, we have to take care of ourselves instead of taking care of you, so we're taking back this money. Literally, again, last year, one partner looked at me and said, we weren't positive what we were supposed to do for the next three months. And then the gift from Valley showed up. And it helped us know that we were okay to move forward. They rely on us to keep going. They need our generosity to continue to do the work that they're doing. And this is the kind of church that we want to be as we reach into the future. We want to give more and more money away every year. We want to be more and more committed to the kingdom work that we're doing and that our partners are doing. The crazy pipe dream that I have, and I try and keep this a secret, so I'm ruining it right now as I tell all of you. I would love to see us get to the place that a church, as a church that we could give away 50 cents of every dollar that's given to Valley. Is it possible? I don't know. I don't care if it's possible. I think God has huge dreams for Valley, and I would love for that to be one of them. That of every dollar that comes in, 50 cents of it works to do the things that we're doing in-house, and 50 cents of it is given to our missions partners and to the work that we're doing around the world, among our neighbors and the nations, to make sure that people come to know that they're deeply loved by Jesus. I would love for that to be possible. And that, that's my dream. That's my hope for what it looks like as we continue to move forward. We want to be more and more committed to kingdom work, the work we're doing, the work our partners are doing. As I told you last week, some of the work that they're doing, we also have to make sure that we're getting involved in that work. Simply giving is not missional living. It's contributing to missions. But as we look to get our hands dirty in that work, that doesn't mean that we stop giving. It means that those two things are partnered together. That we give them resources of dollars and resources of people. That we be a part of what's happening financially and with some sweat equity. We want to be a church known for our generosity. All right, one last thing I want to say as we talk about generosity. Valley... As an organization, 
can only be marked by generosity if you and I are deeply committed to us being an organization that is generous. It's one of the reasons that the vision team decided to name this. In some ways, as we talk about generosity, it could simply be a byproduct of the other things happening. And we feel like it is. We feel like it's a byproduct of spiritual transformation happening in us. We feel like it's a byproduct of healthy community. We feel like it's a byproduct of missional living. But we discern the need to name this characteristic of those things coming to work specifically because we want to make sure that it is something we're intentional about. We want to make sure that it is a guiding principle. Because we can only bless others in growing ways if you are committed to making sure that this is still a part of our budget. Even, if we, even as we have to ask questions about other things. We can only bless people with our facility if we're willing to swallow some of the risk that comes with it. Because we've decided that generosity is more important. We can only continue to give if you push us to give. And we can only continue to give if you join us in giving. Let's be brutally honest for a minute. Our declining budget, our declining savings means that we can only continue to do this for a time. Based on our current trajectories, nothing else thrown in, no kind of miraculous occurrence which we believe could happen, but just looking simply at the numbers of our current trajectories, we only have enough money to continue doing what we're doing for a year or two. And then we're out. Then we got nothing left. Which means we can't continue to pay to maintain our building which means we can't continue to afford any staff, which means we can't continue to fund any of the ministries that we're doing. And, And just the idea of losing these things, any of them, grieves me deeply. But what grieves me even more is the idea that if we as a church don't continue to see our individual and our organizational generosity increase, that we can no longer be invested in the kingdom work that's taking place. The incredible work that Valley Baptist Preschool is doing. The amazing works that Maryland Christian Church are doing. The unbelievable ways that the Assistance Center of Towson Churches impacts our community. The ways in which Impact One International is changing the lives of children and families in one of the poorest communities in Lusaka, Zambia. We can no longer be invested in the ways in which Grace Life is making an impact in college students. Some of them sitting in this room, but being represented on five different campuses. We can no longer be connected to that work if we don't continue to see our own generosity increase. We can no longer be connected to the amazing work that InterVarsity is trying to do on Goucher University's campus. We no longer be invested in the work that our denominational partners are doing or that other partners that we have are taking place. 
Our organizational giving is dependent on you and me personally giving. And giving much the way that Paul called the church in Corinth to give. Ways that don't always make sense. Ways that dig even deeper than we imagine possible. Ways that allow us to share when we're in seasons of plenty with those who have less. And so many of us don't have much. The church in Corinth, it's not like they were flush with money. I mean, they didn't just dig into their reserves and go, hey, we got more than we know what to do with this year. Let's send a little bit to Jerusalem and take care of them. Instead, what was taking place is Paul said, even as you struggle, even as this is hard, even as you don't know for sure how you'll pay your own bills, dig deeper, give more. Folks, Valley is a special church. We are, there are incredible things happening among us. We're seeing beautiful work take place in the lives of so many people in our body. We're continuing to make an influence here and in our community and around the world. And we should celebrate this together. But also long for more. We should be thankful for where we've been and for what we've done, for the ways in which we've given and the ways in which we've been a blessing and the influence that we've had on so many. And we also have to be committed to reaching further together. So as the vision team has talked about the idea of generosity and some of our guiding principles, I think that we hope at least this. What Paul said in chapter 8, verse 7 to the church in Corinth. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. This is the kind of church we want to be. This is the kind of people we want to be. And I hope that you have the courage and the faith to join us in it. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, we are grateful for the chance to come and gather. I pray that your scriptures would do a work in each of us. I pray that the work of the Holy Spirit would stir and move us forward. That we would be abundantly faithful. Abundantly generous. And that you would receive all of the praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.